At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed. Have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters 5 through 7 to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. Amen. You may have a seat. If you're online, a welcome to you again. Um, you ever have those moments in life where there's something that you really, really want to do, and then when you really get to do it, then you immediately regret it because you're like, whoa, why did I fight so hard for this? It's kind of the way I feel right now standing in front of you. Um, a little bit of regret, not because it's you, but simply because there was an opportunity to serve Jim. There's an opportunity to get up here and preach through a book of the Bible that I just personally love. I love teaching through it. I love counseling people towards it. Um, and then when I began to get into the text this week in just preparation for this morning, it was that thought of, really? This one? I have to preach on this? Uh, because this text is one of those where it's a continuation of what we started last week in Romans chapter, the beginning of chapter 6. But really, as we're in this sermon series from Romans chapter 5 all the way through 7, what we're seeing is kind of this challenge of your walk with Jesus. What does it look like? How is it playing out in your life? What aspects of your walk with him do you need to maybe take a moment and repent of? What aspects of your walk with him maybe are misinformed or are in error? And today in our text this morning, we're going to see a little bit more clearly and maybe have a little bit of gut punches where we have to reevaluate maybe some things that we have allowed to live and breathe and propagate for far too long. And my hope and my prayer has been that God would use me to just communicate his truth. And Jim talked about this last week. By no means should you ever see anyone that stands in front of you preaching God's word as someone who is perfect, as someone who is an expert on the subject matter or someone who knows how to do all things correctly because that is by no means me. And so I want us to humbly together listen to what it is that we see Paul say to the church in Rome. I want us to humbly together be willing to reevaluate some things about our life as we consider the truths and the reality of what it is to be a Christ follower. And it's one of these messages, too, that while there may be some gut punches, there's also a resounding hope. And oftentimes that's the hope that we miss. Um, it's easy to get up here. We were um, this, just this last week, all the preachers from all across uh, the Woodside campuses monthly, we get together and we're trained and instructed by other faithful men who preach God's word. And this last week, we were challenged by Ray Ortland. He's a pastor in Nashville, Tennessee. And it was just this stark reminder that you are not a professional but that as you are wrestling with the word of God, God wants to speak through you to the people that he has called you to shepherd and minister to. And in the same way, you as a follower of Jesus, as God speaks to you, he wants to speak through you into the lives of your spouse, in the lives of your kids, 
in the lives of the people that you work with, the lives of the people that you live around, because God wants to use you exactly where you are. With all your broken pieces, with all your mess ups, with all the struggles you have, God wants to redeem those for his glory so that those people around you may also come to know what it is to be a follower of him. I don't know if you know this, but as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, you're called to do three things. If you ever question, what, it, what do I need to do as a Christian? Here are the three simple answers. Love God, love people, love your neighbor, and live on mission. Go into the world and teach everyone what it is that he has taught you. Baptize them. And remember always that he is with you to the end of the age. I could say amen and we could be done and go home a little bit early, get to that buffet line. Do they do buffets yet again? Have we brought that back yet? So, but we got a lot to go through this morning. So I hope that you came ready. You should buckle up. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and open it up. We're going to be in Romans chapter six. Romans chapter six. Um, I think every follower of Jesus should be a student of the book of Romans. It is one of the most rich, dense, hard to understand books in the Bible, more so probably than Revelation. Revelation deals with things that are yet to be. Romans deals with the here and now, and it challenges your theology. It challenges your knowledge of God. It challenges what it is to live your life as a follower of Jesus. Little context is always helpful. The book of Romans is a letter to the church in Rome. Good job. All right, you guys got this. It's going to be a good morning, right? It's a letter to the church in Rome. This church in Rome, Rome obviously being the center of the empire in its day, it was probably the largest city metropolitan area. It was a hodgepodge of cultures. It, were, it was filled with people who were conquered and they moved there. It was filled with people who wanted to live in Rome. And it was just this hodgepodge of people. And the church because of the work of Jesus, because of the gospel being proclaimed by faithful men and women, the church began to grow. And as the church grew, people began to obviously come together in some form or fashion. And what happened was that people began to bring their heritage, their history, their perspective, their culture into the church. If you look around the room right now, guess what? All of you come from different backgrounds. Being a non-denominational church means we have people from all sorts of different religious backgrounds. And all of you, I don't know if you know this, all of you bring baggage with you. If your first thought was, wow, that's offensive, then you have real baggage. If your first thought was, uh, I don't, then you have baggage. Everybody brings something to the table in the church. It's just a reality and that's okay. And what was happening in the church in Rome is that you have all of these people coming in and you have these recent Jewish converts, people who grew up in Judaism, people who understood the Torah, people who knew what the word of God, what you would consider the Old Testament, they knew what it said, but they heard about Jesus and they had faith and they believed in him and they said, I choose to follow him. That's one group of people. The other group of people you have are Gentiles, basically anybody who's not a Jew right? And they come in with their own religious background, whether it's worshiping pagan deities or whether it's worshiping nothing, but they hear this good news of Jesus and they come into the church and then you've got the two different groups coming together where one group says, hey, you can't eat that. That's not okay. 
That's what the Old Testament tells us you're not allowed to do. This group over here says, you guys, y'all don't know how to have any fun. You should have a drink, maybe one, maybe five, but you should just enjoy life a little bit more. And the two are kind of fighting. There's this infighting that's happening in the church. And what Paul's having to do is he's having to address the divisions and the improper doctrine that both groups were bringing to the table. Romans 1 through 3, chapters 1 through 3, really, he kind of levels the playing field for everybody who's hearing this letter read out loud in their church gathering. He reminds everybody, hey, guess what? All of you are sinners. Doesn't matter if you're Jew, doesn't matter if you're Greek, doesn't matter if you're a man or woman, freed or slave. All of you are sinners. Look to your neighbor and say, you're a sinner. Okay, like, okay, oh yeah, we had like 15 people do it. Way to be bold and brave, right? It's a reality. If you're online, you're a sinner, okay? Because you're not here, I'm just kidding. Uh, we love you, we love you, we love you, we love you. Okay, no, but everybody's a sinner. He levels the playing field to make sure that everybody understands that we all have the same fallen condition. We're human beings. We will all always be prone towards living out of our flesh and living from a sinful nature. It's a real encouraging letter at the front end. All of you are sinners. And then he goes in and dives in deeper. We don't have time to go through all of it, but then he begins to talk about the life of the believer. Last week, we heard from Jim, the week before from Pastor Steve Zarelli, and we got to see what it is to come into this walk of life, to walk with Jesus. And what I wanna do is I wanna give you a visual illustration, okay? Imagine that there's this line right here, okay? You once were over here on this side of the line. You come to faith in Jesus, meaning that you believe in who he is, you confess him as your Lord. What that means is you step over here to this line, right? Is that a hard illustration? No, everybody's getting it, right? Give me some head nods, okay? So we're all over here. That's some head banging over there, okay? We're all over here now because of Jesus, right? You once were here, now you're over here because of your faith in Jesus. And what Paul is having to do now is he's saying, if this is true, why is it that some of you are like this? Why is it that some of you, you've got one foot over here and one foot over here? Do you not know what Jesus has done for you? So Romans chapter six, starting at verse eight. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Why in the world is Paul still talking about this? And really, this is like the third time he addresses this from the previous passage. It's because it's a big deal. Because as people live in both worlds, one foot in, one foot out, the reason why people do that is because there's a very real power that wants to be a master over you. And that power is sin. Sin is a power that wants to master you. It's why your foot is over there. Because sin is constantly drawing at you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are still going to deal with sin. 
Satan and his enemies and his forces, rather, they are doing everything they can to get that foot, to get you back to over here. This is where the conversation comes up about, you know, do you lose your salvation? And we don't have time to jump into that right now, but here's the easy answer, no, okay? That's a very deep theological response. But what can happen is that as a follower of Jesus, as you get pulled more and more and more over to here, and you find yourself both feet in over here, there's some deeper questions and conversations that have to happen about what really is going on in your heart. Paul really wants the church to know and to remember that Christ will never die again. Why is that important? Look back in the verses with me. Down here at verse 10, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Why is that a big deal? Why did Jesus have to die? He had to die for me. He had to die for the sins that I commit. Because when I commit sin, guess what I'm doing? I'm offending God Almighty. And he looks at me and he says, I have to exert my wrath upon you because I am holiness and your life is not. I have to deal with the unholiness and with the sin in your life. Because if I don't, I'm just an unjust God. I am a just being. I have to deal with things. I don't just overlook them or ignore them. That's why in the Old Testament, you have the animal sacrifices. God said, this is one way to do it. It's not going to be the end solution because it's, there's not enough animals on this world to atone for the sins of all mankind for all time. So I'm going to do the ultimate thing. I'm going to send my son Jesus to pay the price for each and every single person for all of their sin for the rest of their life. Maybe do this a little bit, just kind of tap your chest. That's you. Jesus died for you. He died for me, for the sins that I commit. Maybe for some of you, for the sins you committed this morning on the way to church. Maybe for some of you, the sins you committed last night or this week. Jesus died because of that sin. You know, we live in a world today, you go, on, you go online, you watch uh, the news. If you are old and you read newspapers, you see it in the newspapers. That was offensive. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but if you look at the world, there's a lot of people talking about their freedom is being taken away from them. People feel like the freedoms that they once had now are being removed. And people are like losing their mind over it. Some rightly so, some eh, maybe not so much. But we're, we're in this theme of life right now where we're looking at what's gonna get taken away next. What's gonna get taken away next? What am I not gonna be able to do next? And what Paul wants to remind the believer, Jesus' death, he never has to die again for your sin. Well, but Jesus, I, I, I am a believer, I follow you, but this thing I just did, this sin I just committed, you'll, you are never gonna forgive me for this. This is too bad. I've ruined too many relationships. I've ruined my image. I've ruined my life. How are you ever gonna forgive me? I know that you are so angry with me. 
I just, I, I give up. How many of us feel that way? I do. When I look at the sins that I commit, it's the first thought that runs through my mind. He is never going to forgive you for this. You are a failure in life. You are never going to succeed. He's never going to use you. You're just going to be some washed out, washed up preacher. Way to go. Way to screw up your life. Anybody ever had that thought before in your head? One person's honest. And the reason why we go towards that is because sometimes we forget that truth. Jesus never has to die again for our sins. He's already done it. It's finished. You're already justified. There's nothing you can do in this world that will make him have to go and suffer again for you. He's already suffered enough for you. That should give you hope. It should give you a sense of, yeah, I'm good. You'll see later in chapter six, Paul comes back to this thought and says, hey, just because this is a truth doesn't mean you get to keep on sinning. Just because this is a reality that Jesus is death, he never has to die again, doesn't mean that you get to keep doing whatever it is that you want to do. You do not have a license for sin. Instead, you should be in a place of humility and brokenness to say, what I just did is terrible and I don't understand it, but I know that Jesus forgives me and that he already has. We have to remember that truth, church. You are going to sin, but how will you respond to that? Respond by first remembering Jesus' atoning death on the cross has already paid the debt that you just incurred. You're free. And your freedom can never be taken away if you are truly in him. Let's keep going in the verses. Look down here at verse 11. So you also, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's pause there for a moment. Consider yourself dead to sin. When you look at that word consider, there's some different translations. One of them is the word reckon. Down in Texas, Oklahoma, we use the word I reckon, right? Nobody's laughing. There you go. That was pity. But to reckon something, right? It's kind of the root of it's like a, from the financial accounting world. You reconcile something, right? When you, hopefully, when you deal with your finances, everything is objective, you don't feel like you got money in the bank account to where you could buy that new boat or that new F-250 King Ranch edition, right? You don't feel like you got the money and then magically the money's there. You either have it or you don't. It's very objective. There's no conversation about it. It's black and white. It's objective. It's truthful. It's a fact. Consider, reckon, you are dead to sin. Warren Worsby, theologian, wrote it like this. He said, God doesn't command us to be dead to sin. God says, you are dead to sin. Everybody say, you are. You are 
you are, you are dead to sin. Jesus never has to die again. And because of that, you are dead to sin as well. You're dead to its consequences, its eternal consequences. You are still going to have to deal with the earthly consequences of your sin. You don't get to go steal something and be like, hey, I'm, I'm dead to sin. You can't do anything to me. Well, yeah, they can, okay? I cheated on my wife. It's okay. I'm dead to sin. Well, not, not really. You got issues over here in your relationship. I cheated on my taxes. I'm dead to sin. The government can, doesn't have any hold over me. I'm in God's kingdom. They can't do anything to me. Well, where do you live? You live in America and you have to follow the rules, right? You're dead to the power of sin in and over your life. Let's go back to our illustration. You're over here, right? Let's say you're over here. Sin comes knocking at the door. Hey, you want to you wanna come over here? It'll feel really good. You'll be living your best life. It'll be great. You can watch church from your boat every Sunday morning. It's totally fine. That's, it's not a sin to watch from your boat, right? But sin kind of beckons you. It's just kind of drawing you in that pool, that tug that you don't see. You feel it. You don't see it. You're dead to that. It doesn't have to have power over your life. But it's a lot easier just to submit to that than to fight that. Which again is why Paul's writing what he's writing. Reckon yourself, consider yourself dead to sin. And then he goes on, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. That word passions, again, kind of another way to, to define that Greek word there, desires. It's not just talking about like in a sexual manner. This is just the desires that you have in life. I desire to have a family. I desire to make a living. I desire to have wealth. I desire to be in a relationship. I desire that thing over there. I desire to be in the know of everything that's going on in the world because I just, that's just who I am. All of these desires in and of themselves aren't always necessarily wrong. They're not always sinful. What happens is that when those desires begin to rule over us and we follow what those desires lead us towards, that's when it becomes sin. Hey, you really need to take this job because you're going to get six figures. You're going to be way more comfortable in life. You're going to have to give up time with your family. You have to give up time with your church body. But you know what? You need to be set up for the future because who knows where our country is going. This is the right thing for you to do. Sometimes the draw towards something like that starts deep in our heart where it's a desire to maybe be in control. Maybe it's a desire for greed where there's just this greed about us that drives us to do and work ourselves to death. 
I mean, there's so many different illustrations and examples we could go through. I'm going to give you another picture. I used to do kids' ministry a long time ago, um, so I use pictures a lot because I learn with pictures, okay? I want you to imagine a heart, okay? Not an anatomically correct heart, but like a Valentine's heart, okay? Imagine a heart, then imagine right in the middle of that heart is a throne. It could, it could be as big of a throne as you want or as small of a throne as you want, but imagine there's some ornate throne sitting there in the middle of your heart. Who sits on that throne? Is it you or is it Jesus? If it's you, or if you're not sure if it's you or Jesus, what you've got to do is take that image of the heart and then slide over here and look at the word behavior. What does your behavior in life reflect about who sits on the throne of your heart? Because if it's you on the throne of your heart, all of your behavior will reflect that. I'm making my decisions. I'm choosing to do these things. I'm not consulting God unless my, cons my consultation with God is, hey, God, I think I'm going to accept this job offer because it's amazing. Can you bless this for me? Because I think it's the right thing to do. Just, you just bless that for me, right? Or maybe it's, hey, you know what? I've wanted a relationship so, so long, and God, there's this person in front of me right now that matches, you know, three out of five, but right now my odds aren't that great, so I'll take the, you know, I'll take that odds. That's good. Um, but I'm going to go down this road with this relationship because I know that's really what you want me to have. You see, sometimes what happens is these things, these desires that sin kind of pulls at us, what happens is, is that they become idols in our life. And we look to those idols of being our metric of how good our life really is rather than looking to the creator of all things saying, what is it that you want good in my life? You are dead to sin. You do not have to step your foot over. You don't have to. But what are you doing to help yourself to where you don't follow that draw? Paul kind of gives us the answers, and it basically is summed up in the way of presenting yourself to God. Look with me at verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Let's pause there. There's a lot of parallel, I can't even say it. There's a lot of parallels here. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Your members. It's talking about your hands, your feet, your mouth, your eyes, your mind, the external things of your body. Don't present your body as an instrument for unrighteousness. Another word for instrument, when you, in the Greek, there's four times that that word is used in Greek. The other three times, it talks, it's always talking about weapons. This is the only time that Paul says instrument. I really wish he would have just said weapons. But let's think about that for a moment. Weapons of unrighteousness. Have you ever thought of the external things of your life as weapons to sin? 
Don't present the external things of your life to be a weapon for unrighteousness. What does that look like? Maybe you've got some ideas in your mind. Maybe you're dealing with something tough. Maybe you deal with lust. Don't go to that place. Maybe you deal with alcoholism and drunkenness. Don't hang out, don't go around people who are drinking. Maybe your struggle is gossip. Don't continue to ask people to give you info so that you can go and share that with other people through the form of some prayer. Oh, I just wanna pray for someone so they're going through this. I don't know if you guys know this, but God, you know all things and it's a wonderful, just help them in all of their issues. Maybe it's a thing of gluttony. If you struggle with gluttony, don't don't go to Burger King. There's not a lot of good stuff there. There's some other really good things there. But do you see what I'm saying? What are you doing to not present your life, your body, the way that you conduct yourself? What are you doing to not present it as a tool, as a weapon of unrighteousness? Let me talk to the dudes for a little bit. What are you doing about internet access? What are you doing about sharing information from your devices? Are you presenting yourself are you presenting these things as, as weapons of unrighteousness or weapons for righteousness? Here's another one that's gonna be a little bit of a stinger. All of the recreation that you wanna do is playing golf, is playing little league softball as a 35-year-old man. Are those things sinful? No, they're not sinful. But have they become an idol in your life? where you're willing to give up time with your bride, time with your kids, time with the church for the sake of pursuing those external things that bring pleasure. What are you doing? Are you presenting, are you setting up your life, your schedule to be a weapon for unrighteousness or a weapon for righteousness? We have to think about that. We have to think about the way that we present our lives. It requires us to kind of do an audit, right? And if you find yourself at a place saying, oh, I don't know if I am or if I'm not, this is why we talk about life groups so much. This is why we talk about being here together in the church body. This is why we talk about being known, being vulnerable, letting people know what your name is instead of slipping in the back and then slipping out as soon as you can. Because when you come together in a community of other believers, guess what you find? People know you, people see you. People ask you the question, hey, I see this in your life. I've watched this, I've heard this. Is everything okay? Don't be the person that comes years down the road and says, I've secretly been dealing with this. I haven't told anybody. And now here's what my decisions are gonna be for the rest of my life. I was meeting with a young man this week and um, he's having one of those moments where he recognized so many aspects of his life were presented as weapons for unrighteousness. 
and because of earthly consequences, God used those consequences to kind of shake him a little bit and say, wake up. And now what he's doing is he's saying, how do I take these weapons that were used for sin, that were used for things that weren't pleasing to God, and how do I transform them into things that are for righteousness? How do I take these things and present myself in such a way where I'm pursuing holiness rather than pursuing unholiness? This guy's in his mid to late 20s. He has so much more life ahead of him. I know a story of another guy, same kind of story, except this guy is in his 60s. And yet, as he embraces this truth, Jesus never has to die again for my sin. As he embraces the truth that he is dead to sin, he has the ability to still present himself and to present his body before God as a tool, as a weapon for righteousness. There's a song that we've been singing, you've heard it on the radio, The Battle Belongs. We've got to wake up a little bit and remember that we are in a battle. We're in a battle. As you stand over here with Jesus, your sin, the world, Satan is constantly coming at you. If you don't see the ways that he's constantly coming after you, guess what? You're blinded. Be in community with other people who can help you do what? See your blind spot. Marriage relationships. This is why marriage is so hard, because guess what our spouses do? They see all of our blind spots. So what is Paul trying to do? He's driving home again for the believer, for that person who has put their faith and their trust in Jesus. Listen, remember that sin is a power that wants to master you. So remember that Jesus doesn't have to die again for your sin. It's already done. It's paid for. It's clear. You are righteous in the eyes of God because of what Jesus did on the cross. And because he rose again from the grave, you now therefore have the ability to live life today. So consider, reckon yourself to be free from sin. You're dead to it. It doesn't have to have power and dominion over you. And at the same time, don't make it easy for sin to pull you in. Present yourselves in a way where you're an instrument, you're a weapon of righteousness instead of unrighteousness. Verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Really wish we could jump into 15 and on, but you have to come back next week. Sin has no dominion over you, believer. You may be beat up right now. You may have plenty of arrows stuck in your side from it. 
you may even have a lot of earthly consequences that you're still having to walk through and work through. And it could be kind of the like sensational sins, but I think more so than not, there's a lot of those smaller sins, pride, arrogance, greed, self-centeredness, self-righteousness that you struggle with. You need to be in community for people to help you so you can tell people, hey, this is what I'm dealing with, and they can hold you accountable. Or maybe at the very least have people say, hey, I see this in your life. I don't think this is what God has for you. I don't think this is what Jesus would call you to do. This is why we tell you we want you to be in church. Even if you're out of town, watch us online because we want you to hear the word of God because our hope and desire is that when you come here, it doesn't just make you feel good and give you a bumper sticker on your butt on the way out, but rather that you would have an opportunity to commune with God where God speaks directly to you and says, look at what I've done for you. And I did it because I love you. Not because you earned it from me, not because you're worth it, but simply because of how great my love is for my creation. And if you're here this morning and you're like, this guy is nutso, but let's say you're standing over here. God knew that you needed to be here today and he knew that you need, and he knows exactly where you're standing. And even though right now, as you stand in this place, Earlier in Romans 5, Paul says, we are enemies of God. And even though you're an enemy, guess what God does? He still sends his son Jesus for you. While you're sinning, while you're jacked up, while you don't look like the perfect, you know, conservative Christian person. He died for you. And he's saying, I want you over here with me. And it's a free gift. And here's how you take this gift. You believe in who it is that I say that I am, and you confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. Jesus wants to come, and he wants to sit on the throne of your heart, and he wants to bring you peace and comfort and direction, but most importantly, he wants to use your life so that the next person that you hang out with, that you live next to, that you work next to, can see this change in you and come to you and say, what happened to you? Why do you enjoy life now? And then you get that chance to tell them about Jesus. The band's gonna come out. We're gonna sing a song. If God's been talking to you, followers of Jesus, and there's just stuff you gotta deal with, I'll be down here at the front. Pastor Jim will be down here too. Just come pull us aside, talk to us. If you're one of those folks who's standing over here and maybe you feel like God's calling you in, come down and talk to us. We wanna pray with you, we wanna love on you, and we wanna encourage you and challenge you. Walk with him. Let's pray, church. Father, we thank you for your goodness and God, I thank you for your word. God, whatever was said that is not of you, I pray that you would just remove it from the minds of these people. But God, also those words that you were saying directly to them, 
would you have them become real and tangible in their minds and their hearts? God, I know that you want to work on and that you are working on the lives of men and women right now at this very moment. Show them what you desire for them. Remind them of the death that your son Jesus experienced on our behalf. Show us how to present ourselves to you. Show us how to repent of things in our life that aren't honoring to you. And show us, Lord, how to be on mission so that others may know this hope and this peace found only in you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.